Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Amen. It was uh, it was quite a journey. I had no intention of starting a school whatsoever at all. Um, I had went to a school up in nor- in northern Minneapolis, and uh, and when I got there, I, I told the the director there. I said, he goes, "What are you going to teach on today?" And I said, "I think I'm going to teach on the gospel." And he goes, "Oh." Okay, well, these are third-year students, man. They're, they've moved past that. And I, I looked at him and I said, wait a minute now. Um, I get that they're third-year third students. But if we don't continue to preach the gospel, even believers, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear it, I would say, every day. We need to tell ourselves the gospel, remind us all over again about the cross and what he did. It's the ultimate love story that we've ever seen. And all of a sudden, he goes, okay, whatever. So, so I go in there, and I, I said, all right, hey, I'm going to ask everybody in here, what is the gospel? And, and there were so many good answers, Pastor. There were so many good answers. This one young lady, she's so sweet. She reminded me of my daughter. She raised her hand up, and she said, she goes, I got the answer. I know what it is. I know what the gospel is. And I said, hey, man, what is it? And she said, well... It's the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus. And I said, amen, that's a really good answer, but it's still not complete. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, in Mark 1, Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He hadn't died yet. What was he preaching? So all of a sudden, I got to teach them the, the biblical gospel. I got to show them how Jesus was actually predicted all throughout the Old Testament, that we're in a new covenant. We're not in the old covenant anymore. People get that in the Old Testament mixed up. The Old Testament is beautiful because it tells the story of Jesus and God's elaborate plan to once again include us into the family. It's beautiful. I get done and all of a sudden I'm in this, you know, he's sitting in there. He's the director of school. He's watching me and he's sitting in there and I go, I just felt like I was supposed to do an altar call in the middle of class. There's about 80 students in there. And about the time I said that, all of a sudden, you remember the young blonde girl? She throws herself on the ground on all fours and begins to scream, you can't have her. She's a third year ministry student, been signed off by her pastor, signed off by her family, signed off by references to go to the school. So guess what happened? Of course, she got free. She got saved. She got filled with spirit. She began to dance. At that moment, I said, who else wants to surrender your life? And 18 students, 18 out of 80 ran forward and fell on the ground and began to say, God, we surrender. They didn't have to be coached. They just began to surrender, and I get in the car, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving off, and I'm thinking, that was a really good class. <laughs> but then the, the Lord began to convict my heart, and the Lord came upon me, and the Lord goes, yeah, but what about, what about, what about, what about DBU? What about, what about, what about North Central up there? What about, what about Asbury College? What about all of these schools that are training people, releasing them into mission, releasing them into planting churches, and they may not even be born again? And then I started thinking, he was bringing to mind like church hurt, leadership abuse, how the progressive church has allowed sin to enter into the church. And I began to sit there and go, okay, all right, so what do you want me to do? 
And he said, I want you to start a school. I want you to take your internship into a school and I want you to teach them the principles of the gospel that when they get out of this school, for one thing, they, 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 the only thing that they may receive is this, salvation. Because they will hear the gospel. They will understand the gospel. They will see it in Isaiah 52 as well as seeing it in Matthew 28. They'll see it in both the old and the new. Two witnesses that Jesus is king. So today... Today, I'm going to jump into one of the most controversial subjects in all of the church. It's the subject of hell. Yep. I see your faces. We don't like talking about hell. Seriously, we don't. I mean, guys, it is, it's hurtful when we begin to think about the reality of a living hell. Did you know Jesus talked about in the Old Testament over 64 times, Jesus mentions the word hell. Did you know 18 of those times he's talking about the flames of hell? Like it's a literal place. Like it's not, it's not an analogy. I'm about probably, I don't know. Every church I go to, people, there's that one guy or that one lady that goes, well, we believe that hell exists, but it's, it's, it's not the way that you declare it. To I feel like a rapper now. <laughs> so I got it like super close. Just want to, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I want to, I want to crush some things. Like for example, the, that, that, that hell doesn't exist today. I want it to be crushed. I want to, I want to crush this idea of annihilationism. That hell is, is, is not true. There's denominations that believe if you have a moral failure or if you do not accept Jesus Christ, you just cease to exist. Well, there's multiple scriptures to back up. That's not the case. That it's eternal. Like Jeremiah 20, or I'm sorry, Matthew 25, 46. It uses the word eternal life or eternal punishment. It, the, the Greek word there is ionios. It means a constant state of never ending time eternal punishment, a constant state of never-ending punishment. You know, in 9-11, when the plane came in and hit, people were jumping out of the building because they did not want to experience the flame. It was believed that because of the jet fuel, that the flame was so hot that in eight seconds, it would completely disintegrate somebody. So they jumped out the window because they knew that they would die. And they wouldn't have to go through the pain and the agony. Well, guess what? In hell, you don't get to die. You just get to relive it over and over and over. I know you're in here right now and you're going, why do I need to know about hell? We're the church. Praise God. I'm going to give you three reasons today that I believe the church needs to hear the reality of hell and the understanding of hell. Three reasons. And I'm going to go over them real quick and then go back and dissect a little bit. But one of the first reasons is it gives you an unquestionable joy of your salvation. In other words, thank God I'm born again. I don't have to experience that. Christ paid the price. I accepted him fully and surrendered. Therefore, I don't have to worry about the pit of hell. I'm talking about restoring the joy of our salvation to where we're really excited. We wake up every day and we're like, I'm born again. Hallelujah. 
I'm going to talk to Jesus. I get to do that all day. The second thing is it reestablishes the fear of the Lord. So listen, I know this church, because I know your pastors, I know this church really, really, really walks in the fear of the Lord, but we could do better. Listen, I'm talking about a holy fear. I'm talking about like Abel Clary and Father Nash when they went to New York and they were, they were praying and all of a sudden they, they get up and, and they're in the middle of travail and they cry out to this bed and breakfast owner and the bed and breakfast owner calls Charles Finney and says, I have no idea what's happening to your people right now, but they're moaning and groaning and they're screaming and they're not eating and they're not drinking anything. And Charles Finney says, it's just a spirit of prayer. So as Charles Finney's in the air, like he hadn't even touched down. God wanted, God likes to show up and make sure we know it's not about a man, it's about the man. The God man. So he's in the air and people are coming in off the harbors in Manhattan and they are getting there and the, 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 the Coast Guard or the officials at the harbor are calling people and they're saying, pastors, can you please come down here? Um, Sunday school teachers, chaplains, please come down because as the boats are pulling up on the shore, people are down and they're on their knees in reverence of a holy, a holy God. The Bible tells us to only fear one person, the one that can throw us into hell. Fear him and him alone. What does that mean? A holy reverential fear. A holy reverential fear. I, I like using this analogy every now and then when it comes to my kids. Now, my boys, it was a different story, right? But with my girl, if I would walk in the house and she was to be, let's say, sassing her mom, talking back to her mom, I just simply looked at her like, she would start crying and she would say, dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, it'll never happen again. Dad, I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. Because she knew I was her dad. And she knew that I wasn't going to take anybody talking back to mama. And she knew that. So she was like, it's that, that reverential awe. You guys know what I mean. You young ladies, especially when dad walked into the room and dad was upset, you knew, uh-oh. I'm about to lose something. My phone, about to go to the room, about something. Something's about that. My car, something is about to happen because uh, get a whooping, praise God, amen. Let's just be real in here. Something was about to happen. I remember, I remember, I remember the one, I can count on my hand, like on my one hand, how many times I whooped my youngest daughter. And this is what happened. She comes into the living room she, she cheated on a test. She got all the way down to the last two answers and her best friend was sitting right next to her and her best friend said, it's B. Well, the teacher was standing right behind him. And Faith did not go, please don't tell me. She went, oh, okay. <laughs> and she comes home and she knows she's in trouble. She knows she's in trouble. She's in elementary school. And she walks in and I'm sitting in there. Mom's already told me all about it. I'm sitting in my chair. And she walks up to me and she goes, Daddy, I'm so sorry. She went right into the crying thing. And I told her, I said, hey, I understand. Do me a favor and go make me a glass of tea. She goes, oh, okay. She goes and makes me a glass of tea. She comes back in there. She sets it down. She says, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm really, I'm sorry. I said, hey, do me a favor. Go grab me a bag of chips. She goes in. She gets the bag of chips. She comes back in. I learned, I learned this from my dad. <laughs> and, then, and then she goes, she comes back in and I said, you know, I'm pretty hungry. Can you make dad a sandwich real quick? 
Now, mind you, what's she doing? She's thinking about everything that she did. And it's not crocodile tears. When she comes back in there this time, she's like, I can't take it anymore, Dad. Spank me. Take my phone. Do something. I just can't take the anticipation. But she had a reverential fear towards her father. You guys understand what I'm saying? We got to get back to the fear of the Lord. We have to get back to being in church on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. And then Monday, living like hell, living like a whole nother people. That's right. I call it out because I see it. I'm on the streets. I'm in the businesses. And I walk up to people that are using foul language. They're, 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 they're being very profane in their conversations. They're talking sexual innuendos and jokes. They're, you could not tell that they were born again. And then in the question of the gospel, they go, oh, but I'm saved. I go to church. I go to this church. And I go, oh, can I be very honest with you right now? Yeah, I couldn't tell. The last thing that studying hell will do is it'll give you a greater desire to witness. I don't know why. The two hardest things to fill up in the church anymore, whatsoever at all, is this. The prayer meeting and the outreach. The grassroots. What they did in the book of Acts. Now you can offer a potluck and everybody shows up. You can, you, you can say we're going to have a, a kid's day and everybody brings their kids. But the Father in heaven is saying, what about my babies? What about my kids? You know, the Bible says in the book of Luke, how do you call me Lord, Lord, yet do not do the things I've commanded? That was, he was speaking to the church, to the believers. He said, how can you sit there and call me Lord? How can you sit there and call me Savior, yet you do not do the things I've commanded to you? He said, go ye therefore. Why? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me real quick to Luke 16. And I'm watching time because I was given a time. So I'm going to make it quick. Verse 19, sorry. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores. So, who, so it was the beggar that died and was carried away to the, with the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in hell, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this between us and you, there's a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here, you cannot, nor can they pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, or five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. Now, I know it's not a popular message, but it's a needed message. 
It's like going up to the buffet of Jesus and saying, I'll take the cheesecake and I'll take the, I'll take the pecan pie, but I don't want any of those Brussels sprouts. I don't want, I don't want any of that spinach because sometimes the hardest things are the best things for us. So we have to hear this this morning. I I believe God is looking for a church that doesn't just lift up the name of Jesus, but realizes, do you hear me? You realize what you've been saved from. You realize, you remember your former life, your former day, your former ways. And you say, oh God, thank you that I do not have to experience that. Thank you, God, that you saved me from my sin. Thank you, God, you saved me from hell. That you died. That he really died. So that we wouldn't have to. This is the good news of the gospel. And this man right here, This rich man looks up and the first thing that he says is, God, get me out of this one. Get me out of this one, God. And he says, I can't. See, a lot of people have believed this fiction. I'm about, here's where it gets weird, okay? A lot of people have heard this lie that hell is separation from God. Turn with me to Revelations 14. I know this is talking about those that accept the mark, but I want you to see something in scripture, not for me, because when you see it in scripture, it doesn't matter if you get offended or don't like what I have to say, because it's in scripture, right? Right? It says in verse, in verse nine, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Who drank the cup of God's wrath? Jesus. Jeremiah 25, 15, that was the cup he was partaking of, where all the sin was put on Jesus. All of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in a mixture with ultimate love and mercy. It's beautiful. It's mesmerizing. And, but right here he says that those that, those that take the mark or those that choose themselves over me, they choose to be the Lord of their own life over me. It says, which is poured out at full strength. I don't know about you, but that is terrifying. That is terrifying that he would pour it out in full strength. This is God Almighty, the, 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 the God of the universe. And it says, and he shall be tormented, watch this, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. That's a capital L. Who is the lamb? If you look at Psalms 139, you look at David talking to God. Psalms 139, verse seven, lift up, no, sorry. If I ascend unto heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. What does that mean? God is there. See, a lot of people go, I don't like this God. I don't like hearing about the wrath. That's not true. Listen, God is love. He is love. Look at me. Don't, don't leave knowing he is love. I believe it's past one of his attributes that it's literally a characteristic in the DNA of our God. But God is also just. 
He's also just. That means there has to be, there has to be a verdict. The gospel demands a verdict. The gospel demands a, you can't walk one way in this way and one way this day. You've got to say either I am fully surrendered or I am out because if you are lukewarm, he spews you out of his mouth. Is it okay to preach? Is it okay to talk about hell? Is it okay to talk about because? You'll see in a minute. You'll see in a minute why this is so important. I remember I had a, I had, a, I had, a, I had a, a dream one night about one of my spiritual sons. I was standing in the parking lot of this, this supermarket. I don't think you guys have them up here. It's called HEBs. But I was standing in the parking lot of this grocery store, and we had walked out. We were about to get in the car, and all of a sudden, the trumpet sounded. And I noticed myself as I began to float up. I began to be caught up. I began to move up. But my spiritual son wasn't moving. But he began to cry out, you taught me how to play baseball. You taught me, you, you, you taught me how to shave. You taught me how to work out. But the one thing, the one thing you needed to tell me, you didn't. And about that time, the ground opened and I began to watch him sink into hell in this vision. How many people do we walk by every day in our sphere of influence, in our normal everyday lives, that if the trumpet was to sound, this crushed me. This crushed me because I love him like a son. And I woke up and I go, oh no, oh no, no, no. Not ever again. Oh, they love me at family reunions, praise God. See, because I believe in the book of Revelation, at the end, it's Revelation, by the way, Revelation, okay? At the end of it, at the great white throne judgment, when it talks about tears, I believe with all of my heart, with all of my heart, that there's three people crying that day. I believe it's the person that is knowing right then, at that moment, that they are fixing to be completely out of every other attribute of God and only in his wrath. John 3, 36 those that believe in Jesus and those that do what he say, they have eternal life. But the ones that don't, guys, the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God abides on them. Again, I know this isn't a proper message or, or a popular message, but we need to hear it. But there's good news. There's good news. Turn with me real quick. Turn with me real quick to 2 Peter. Verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and one in a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some would count slackness but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This whole chapter, they're talking about the return of Jesus. They're saying, why has Jesus not come back? We've heard this stuff since the, since the beginning, since the fathers died. Why has he not come back? It's out of the mercy of an almighty God that he has not returned yet because he wants to see his children 
his children come to repentance. Listen, here's the thing, guys. We've all messed up. I know everyone in this room knows this or, or should, but I'm going to reiterate it because I'm an evangelist. Everyone in this room is messed up. It's okay because the gospel doesn't begin with your mess up. It begins with love. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe it in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why do we need a shepherd? Why do we need a shepherd? Isaiah 53, 6, all like sheep, we've gone astray. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the next one is my favorite. Even though we were in the midst of our sin, even though we deserve the wrath of God, he said, love, go. He commanded love to go. He said, love, go. And Jesus came and he didn't open his mouth. He was the, he was the sheep that was led to the slaughter. So what does that mean? It means in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We like to stop right there. That's the verse we go, amen, hallelujah, I did that. But the next one says, for with the heart, man turns or believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's not just saying some words. If I would have went down when I married my wife and I would have just said, with this ring out of the web, blah, 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 but not meant it in my heart, it would have amounted to nothing. It's a covenant. It's the most beautiful marriage covenant that we could ever think of. He's saying, I want to marry you. This morning, he says, I want to marry you. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to be away from, from the love and the mercy that I have. I want you to be with me for all of eternity. It's the most beautiful love story ever. So yes, a lot of times it's hard to talk about hell. It is. But why, why should it excite the church? Why should it reestablish the fear of the Lord? Why should it reestablish in, in our own lives the joy of our salvation? Why should it reestablish a, a burning to witness it's because the second person I believe that's going to be crying is us. Because I believe with all of my heart that we're going to see those that turn and look at us and go, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? I sat by you at, my, at your desk for 10 years. We talked about the Lakers, man. We talked about the Cowboys. We talked about all this stuff, but you never said nothing to me about something that was eternal. Why? Why? And listen, I'm not talking trying to, oh, oh my goodness, Lord, would you, would you bust in today? And would you begin to convict hearts so that tomorrow and the next day they're witnessing and then they go back to life as usual? I'm talking to a group today that says, I can't go back to the norm. You don't understand what I've been saved from. I'm remembering it right now. The joy of my salvation. I remembered the fear of the Lord at that moment. And I do want to go out and I do want to burn and I do want to, want to see people, sons and daughters of God come into the kingdom. That's what you were born to do. Can I tell you that? Two things in the Bible. I know for a fact, you're not trespassing on the Holy of Holies. You were born to be there. You're born to adore him and you were born to proclaim him. 
It's the truth of the gospel. Gehenna is the word for hell in Scripture. Gehenna in the Greek. It's talked about a lot. It's talked about chambers. Three different areas. The chambers of hell in the book of Ezekiel. Then it talks about the, 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 the lake of fire. Then it talks about the bottomless pit. These are reiterated over and over and over again. If it was an analogy, why would he give a, a, a location and a description? It's real. Maybe some of you are in this room this morning and maybe the thought of hell hadn't crossed your mind. Maybe some of you are in the room this morning or maybe you're watching online where you've said, you've said yes, yes, yes to Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. I like the one that can save me from all my junk, but I'm really rebellious and I don't like to serve anyone. Romans 1.18 says, we understand that God exists. We do. We understand he exists. But we suppress the knowledge of God because we love our unrighteousness. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Corey even, Corey even teaches that when one thing was going on, the sale of pornographic material went through the roof at the conference. People would play. They would play believer all day long. And they would worship and worship and then they would go to their hotel room and immediately fall right back into sin. Immediately fall into habitual sin. Why am I saying this? Because in many cases, I think it's a soteria issue. I think it's they're not even born again. I think that they said yes to Jesus as Savior. But no as Lord. And he has to be both Savior and Lord. He is holy and jealous. He won't have anything before him. So I'm talking to a room this morning. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't. And maybe hell scares the hell out of you. Maybe it does. And good, it should. I'm not playing a fear tactic. This isn't fear tactic. I want you to see if you choose to go to hell, it's you choosing to go to hell. People walk up to me all the time and they go, how can this God of love that loves so much like you say. How can he send people to hell? He doesn't, they do. The sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. Behold, he stands at the door and he knocks. Who in this room wants to let him in? If, if, if you don't know Jesus today, and I mean know him as both, then hell should scare you. The wrath of God should scare you. But he's loving as well. And he's merciful. And because his love and his mercy does what, it, what we know it has done, is he sent to be the sacrifice, love covers that multitude of sin, but you got to be willing. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that after the cross and after Jesus ascended into the sky, for the first time ever. Now listen, I know people tell me this happened with Enoch and Elijah, but that's a different story. For the first time ever, man stood at the gate. Man stood at the gate. They were, they were crying. John in Revelation says they were crying. They were weeping. They were saying, no one can open the seal. No one can open the seal. And all of a sudden, there's a man at the gate that conquered everything. And then Psalms 24 says, Open up, O oh, ancient gates, 
Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Open up, O ancient gates. The king of glory is here. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Who is this king of glory? He's the one that can take away your sin. He's the one that can give you eternal life. He's the one that, that, that can heal you of whatever physical illness or emotional illness that you have. He is the one that can restore your marriage. It's only him. The second group of people I'm talking about this morning is we got to get back to weeping again for souls. So maybe right now, as I've been sitting here and I've been talking about hell, I know what happens. Your minds have already been racing. You've been thinking about individuals that you don't know if they're born again or not. What in the world would happen if we begin to cry out once again? We cry out for everything else. What about the harvest? I go to so many prayer meetings. Now listen, I'm a prophetic guy. I'm a government guy. I love all of that. I love crying out to God on behalf of our government. I do. But what about for souls? Because you want to change the government, save souls. You want to see abortion end? Preach the gospel. You want to see the government change? Preach the gospel. You want to see human trafficking ending? Preach the gospel. Do me a favor. Everyone stand for just a second. There's so much more, but praise God. Listen, let me tell you what happened. I just preached this message uh, with no sleep at all. Praise God for his grace. I, I, I drove all night and then flew all day, and me and Richard landed in Minneapolis and went straight to a church and preached this message. I couldn't even finish the message, guys. I couldn't even finish the message before people started running to the front. Because they knew in their heart immediately when the truth and reality of hell was preached once again, they said, listen, I'm tired of playing the church game. I got to get born again. And they begin to run down to the front. They begin to, to, to step out and go, I don't care if anybody sees me. I don't care what they think about me. All I care right now is I'm right with him. I'm not going to leave this place and choose hell. I'm choosing him. It's always him. He's always been the answer. Jesus. The gospel. The question that I asked those students, what is the gospel? It was a very simple answer. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment and the center of the gospel. Do me a favor with every head bow and every eye closed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up or who's ever coming up. If there's, a, if there's an altar team, you can go ahead and come up. I'm flying here, guys. I don't even know. Sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Tracy, John, I love you. But maybe that's you. Maybe you're in here right now this morning, and you can't wait for me to shut up because you want to get to the altar. It's okay to say that. That you're like, I've heard enough. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. That place is a place of torment. It talks about it having darkness that is feelable, that is experiential. The last person I believe that's going to be crying at that great white throne is God Almighty. Saying, why? I gave you multiple opportunity. 
Why? 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 If you're in this room today, I don't care if you're five. I don't care if you're 55, 65, 75, 80. Maybe there's someone in here 90 years old. I led an 85-year-old Russian man to Jesus in L.A. Those are the ones that are precious to me because they literally could have took their last breath. That night, in a season right now where we've seen death and dismay, we need life and life more abundantly to be released. So if you're in here right now, just do me a favor. Close your eyes for just a second. If you're in here right now at this moment, there's two people I'm going to talk to. First is the ones that are not saved. It's, it's to be honest, it's, it's normal in a room this size to have at least four to five people that don't know Christ or that have been walking kind of this, this wrong in and out lifestyle. I'm in church on Sunday, but I'm totally out of it come Monday. If you're in this room today, I've led pastors to Jesus. After 20 years of ministry, they come running to the altar and they say, I am not fully surrendered. This is why I've struggled. If you're here this morning and you say, I do not know, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I don't want you to think twice about it. Come now. Come now. Come to Jesus. Come to love. Are there any more that would say, that would question your heart? And you would say this morning, I know you as Savior, but have I really, really given it over as Lord? It's kind of an Ananias and Sapphira situation. I'm going to hang on to this. If you're in here and you say, today is the day of my salvation, I want you to come up. stop? When's he going to move on? I can't hold this chair any tighter when the Holy Spirit tells me to. Yeah, there's wrath, man, but let me tell you about the love and abundance of God. Worldly love says, I love you if you do this for me. God said, I just love you. I just love you. Yes, of course. Anybody on my team? Yes, definitely. Come on. Part of the altar team. So here's the second question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do, do the things I say? 
How many of you in this room right now would say that even the glimpse of the reality of hell has made me appreciate my salvation even more today? How many of you in this room would say I need boldness to go out and pray. I need, I need boldness to hit the streets. I will not, I cannot, I, I, I refuse to leave here the same person. I am a missionary. If, you, if that's you, come now. Come find an altar worker. Come now. I will not be the same. He has changed my life. It's a call to die. To die to yourself. So that he can live in the hearts of others. I know there's a time limit, but guess what? God has no time limit. He's still choosing people. He's still calling people. I don't care if you're 90. I don't care if you're young like Jeremiah. He'll put his words in your mouth. Do me a favor. If, if all of you out there are good, then begin to pray. Gone are the days of spectator Christianity. Let's begin to open our mouth and pray for these up here that are saying yes to living a life of mission and evangelism. There's people giving their life this morning to Christ in this room. As a body, you should be rejoicing.